Good morning, everyone. Good to see you on this uh, kind of last repeat of last Sunday, right? We had rain and kind of a cloudy Sunday day last week, so here we are again. But good to see you. We're, we're glad you're here. Uh, we're going to worship today, and uh, we've got some good stuff tonight. We got another service tonight, so yeah, it's going to be a big day for Prairie View. So anyway, let's uh, open to prayer. Father God, we just come to you today, Lord. We want to just give you everything that we have. Empty out all the junk inside of us, Lord, and put those burdens at your feet and take them away from us, Lord. Just let us be emptied out so that you can fill us up again. Holy Spirit, fill us up. Jesus, fill us up with your your compassion and your kindness and all the great things that you have to offer. Let us remember that you are, Jesus, our true salvation and life, and we need to seek you each and every day of our lives. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. We have a couple announcements this morning and celebrations and birthdays this week. It is Nikolai's birthday on the 22nd. It is uh, some guy named Pastor Logan's birthday on the 22nd. Don't know who that is. And Juan Pablo's on the 24th, so make sure you wish them a happy birthday. Uh, thank you, everyone, who I was able to help out with the rummage sale yesterday. Uh, we appreciate it so, so much. And we uh, raised roughly uh, a little bit over $900 for the women's ministry. And there are still items for sale in the fellowship hall, so feel free to take a look after service. And if you brought anything um, and it did not sell, please take it home with you. Toss it out the window if you drive home. Burn it. Take it to the dumpster. Do what you want with it, but we do not want it here. Um, we have a special uh, Sunday evening service tonight at 6 p.m. with Bishop Tom Gillum. I keep trying to mess it up. I'm trying. Uh, not to mess his name up, oh, but now it's in my head. Tom Gillum, uh, please uh, plan on being here as uh, we will be, as as you will be be blessed, and we'll have refreshments after service. Uh, Wednesday night Bible studies, dinner for kids at six thirty. Uh, kids class starts at seven, and there is no adult or teen class. And the annual business meeting is next Sunday, August twenty seventh at five p.m. And we encourage everyone to attend. But, but you must be a member and present to vote. We have uh, three positions for the council, plus an alternate to fill. If you're willing to serve in this area, please see Pastor Justin. And if you don't want to come for the business meeting, please come for the pizza. Uh, an adult and teen Bible studies uh, will start back up on September 6th. We want to welcome everybody today. Uh, we have an awesome opportunity today to take in uh, some new members, which is always always a good thing. So I'm going to ask Chris and Roxana to come forward, if you would like, please. There's no pressure. Just got to make sure you answer every question I ask appropriately. And, no, I'm just playing. Um, so we have membership classes that are designed to, to be finished in a month. And these guys, unfortunately, with everything that we had going on, I think we started like five months ago, and it's just okay. been... One thing after another, so they have been very patient with uh, myself, and just want to um, tell you that they, they didn't get frustrated, they didn't get upset, they were very flexible. Well, if they did, I didn't see it, which is how you want your pastor to know about things. So, um, with that being said, I'm going to read you some questions, and I'll, I'll lead you in, in what to respond to it, but does you realize in presenting yourself for membership that you are assuming a solemn obligation and it is expected that you will always be true to your promise and faithfully fulfill and discharge your obligation as a loyal member. Do you publicly confess and testify that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior in the full pardon of your sins? If yes, answer I do. Are you willing to walk in the light of Scripture as it shines upon your path? If so, we say, I am. Are you willing to abide by and subscribe to the discipline of the Church of God as outlined by the Scripture and set forth in the minutes of the International General Assembly, if so, please say, I am. Are you willing to support the Church with your attendance and temporal means to the best of your ability as the Lord prospers you, if so, please say, I am. Do you agree to be subject to the counsel and the admonition of those who are over you in the Lord, 
If so, please say, I do. If there be any member who has a legal objection to any of these becoming members of the church of God, the objector may now so state. I say this every time, but that's the one time you want silence in church, and you guys got it, so congratulations. Um, By the authority vested in me as a minister of the church of God, I take great pleasure, and I do, in welcoming you into this membership and extending to you the right hand of fellowship. May I encourage you to call for the services of your pastor when needed. I have confidence that you will ever be a faithful member and a blessing to the church, and that the church will be a blessing to you. I pray that our fellowship will be sweet, that it will be edifying, and that there will be mutual blessing from the church to you and from you to the church. I'd like to pray over you if I can. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Chris and Roxanne and God, for their hearts, Father, for rather the blessing that they've already been to this church. Father, I thank you for um, their family, God, how you've knit them together. Father, I thank you for their giftings, God, that, that they are, are using to, to help bless people in this church. God, I pray that as they grow in their walk with you, that we would grow with them. God, that we could come alongside them, support them, encourage them, be there for them, God, that we would literally be your hands and feet to them as they join this body. God, I thank you so much for what a beautiful day this is. May you bless them and keep them. In Jesus' name, amen. And I invite everybody to come forward and give them the right hand of fellowship, if you would like. You can also do a hug if you would prefer. It's up to you guys. Chris. Church, I think sometimes we we get so caught up in the hustle and the bustle that we do forget it's just Jesus. We run to things that might have the shape of Jesus, or might have the form of Jesus, they might have some form of godliness. We run to to friends that are godly, and that's not a bad thing. But it is when we when we fail to run to Jesus because of it. You know, and the, the truth of the matter is, is that as the worship team was singing and, and I was sitting, standing right there, it is just Jesus. It's not complicated. It's not hard. It's not Jesus in this or Jesus in that. It's just Jesus. And I, I wonder how prone we are to forgetting, just like the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, how, how quickly they forgot who God was. How quickly they forgot all that God had done for them. How he had delivered them from the Egyptians. And, and you know, they, they were upset because they had to wander and they were upset because they didn't have water and they were upset because they didn't have meat and they, all these things. And, and God had all that taken care of. He didn't lead them into the wilderness to kill them. He led them into the wilderness to get them to the promised land. But they forgot over and over. And I think one thing that if the devil can get us to do you know, if the devil can't sever your relationship with Christ, he'll sabotage it. He'll hinder it. He'll make you weak in the faith. Um, you'll be a Christian, but you'll be an anemic, an anemic Christian. You won't have any strength. You'll be dependent upon so many things and Jesus. But the devil's a liar. Always has been. And the truth of the matter is, is that no matter what the devil says, no matter what comes your way, no matter what you're going through, No matter what you're facing, you have Jesus. And he is more than enough. As we get ready to go in the sermon today, I want you to keep in mind just that simple thought of of just Jesus. Of what that that means for us, what that looks like. And I'm going to take us back to some of the basic elements of the gospel maybe. Not, not because I, I, I don't think anybody here is, is not walking with the Lord appropriately, but because I don't want to ever forget why I need Jesus. I don't want to ever forget what Jesus has done for me. I don't want to ever forget that Jesus didn't save me for me to then find my own strength to walk on my own and to leave him for when I need him. That the breath I take, that I fill my lungs with, the the... the the life that I have, the fact that I wake up every morning is solely because of God's strength and God's power. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that as this word goes forth, God, that there's just a very sweet presence of the Holy Spirit here. God, I pray that in this moment, God, the, the ones that are more intimate than most, that you would speak to us out of your word, that you would remind us of all that Jesus has done for us. And Jesus, that we would see you again as clearly today as we did on the day of salvation. That everything that's come between, everything that's muddled up our walk would fall away. And that for the next few moments, we would understand what it means when we say that you are enough. Be with us, I pray. May everything that is said and done bring glory and honor to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before we get going on today's sermon, I I just want to kind of give you an upcoming. We're going to start a series soon um, called Love Where You Live. And what it's designed to do is to uh, help us to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so I want to encourage you, it's a four-part series, to to be at every one of those. Um, You know, you wouldn't grab a novel and read three out of four chapters and call it good. You'd you'd read the whole thing. And so plan to be here for that. Um, And then right after that, there's going to be a really unique way for you to invite your neighbors to church. And it's because your pastor told you to. So you can literally walk over to them and say, this is my pastor, you don't know him. At church, he's nice. Outside of church, he's... But he told me I have to invite you, so you have to come. So I'll I'll give you an out. But then we're going to walk through another four-week series called Just the Pillars of the Gospel. It's just God, man, Jesus, and response. And so my hope is, is that we'll understand the need to reach out to our community, but then that you'll have something to invite them to that is substantial, that shares the gospel in a way that they can grasp it and understand it. So keep that in mind. Um, the title of my sermon today is called Nailed, Dead, Risen. I was going to title it Resignation Letter, how Jesus has signed your resignation letter to sin in his blood and how we can walk free from sin, but I was advised strongly not to do that. I was told if I title my sermon Resignation Letter, I might as well write my own I didn't do it. So if you turn with me, I, I want to start in Colossians chapter 2. You can go ahead and go there, if you would. Colossians chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 11. Um, but I want to talk about something that, that Christ has done for us, and I, I don't know how much you've thought about this. I don't know if you've ever read this passage in Colossians, but it's a, a very beautiful way that uh, this, this salvation, what, what Christ has done for us is is written about. So Colossians 2, beginning in verse 11. Scripture says, In him, talking about Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And so this first part here is to understand what what, what Christ has done. When when Christ took the handwriting requirements that was against you, each and every one of us had sinned. Each and every one of us, when we stood before God's law, were guilty of breaking God's law uh, over and over and over. And James says, if you break it once, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. So even if you only sinned one time, you're guilty of the whole thing. This is what, what, what Christ has done. So we have this, this letter basically against us, a letter that is written that, that says they have broken the law here, 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 here so many times. And it's a legal transaction that we're talking about right here. And so what, what happens is that it's not our keeping of the law that saves us. It's not our keeping of the law that, that gives us God's Holy Spirit. It's not our keeping of the law that keeps us born again. It's the fact that while we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. Because of what Christ has done, because Christ took the, the handwriting of requirements that was against us and he nailed it to the cross and it says that he, he publicly triumphed over them. He didn't do this in secret. He didn't do it underhandedly. 
Christ went to the cross to die for sinners that could not save themselves. That's Gospel 101. So we understand that part of it when we talk about salvation, but we don't understand that part of it when we talk about how we live in light of that salvation. There's, there's a way to live. There's only two ways to live as a Christian, free or bound. Only two ways, free or bound. And so the, the point of today's message is to get us to understand that because Christ has set us free, we're not free to be bound, we're free to be free. And so if we come to Christ, but then we, we make up all these rules and regulations and, and we, we, we shore up our salvation based on, I'm saved today because I did good enough in, in my requirements versus I don't know if I'm saved because I, I messed up so many times a day. That's no way to live. That's not living in the freedom that Christ has bought. That's living bound. That, that, that's being um, a double-minded Christian. That, that, I mean, if you can live your life assured that you are saved, will that not change how you live your life? Now, as Pentecostals, we don't talk about the assurance of salvation much because it tends to, to brush up against our theology in ways we don't like. But if I have no guarantee that Christ can save me, what do I have? I got nothing. If my salvation rests on me to keep it, listen, you don't know how many times in a day I fail. And that's at little things. That's at tying my shoes. That's at getting dressed appropriately. I fail on all the things that don't matter. How much more am I going to fail on the things that do matter? I can get up. I can have my devotions. I can be rocking and rolling and get bad news. And instantly, instantly I can say, God, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Doubt is right there. It's not hard for me to fail. If my salvation rests solely on me to keep it, I'm in trouble. I won't speak for you, but I know for myself, I'm in a lot of trouble. So how do we then work this out? Because Scripture tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I want to be very clear up front. If you hear from this message, go out and sin, you haven't heard my message. I will never advocate for anybody to go out and sin because they have freedom in Christ. We don't have freedom to sin, we have freedom from sin. Amen? So, as we, as we walk through this, don't let your flesh take over what's, what's being said here. Because of what, what Christ has done, we are to consider ourselves dead to sin. If Christ has nailed every one of our sins to the cross if he's nailed the, the handwriting requirements that was against us to the cross, we who have died with Christ are to be dead to sin. So if you turn in, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, we're going to go back and forth a little bit. Romans chapter 6, looking at verses 1 through 7. Scripture says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And so it's kind of this, this, this paradox, and there's so many paradoxes in Scripture. Uh, he who wants to, to, to save his life will, will, will lose it, and he who wants to lose his, or keep it will, 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 on this earth will not have it afterwards. And there's all these things that, that go. This is one of them. We die with Christ, but we're alive in Christ. And so I, I want to make this as abundantly clear as I can. When you died with Christ, your body of sin died. You no longer have sin as your master. You are no longer a slave to sin. You no longer have to obey the desires of your flesh because you don't have the power to not obey him without Christ. You've been born again. The Spirit of God has come to live in you. You've been created as a new person, which means that not only should your actions be different, but your heart has been different. It's been promised in Scripture that God would take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and that he would put his spirit in us. And so not only has, has we come alive to Christ, but we've become dead to sin. And so that's what we, we talk about. And that, that term dead to sin, it means that 
that when sin walks by, when sin walks by you and sees you, it should see no part of you that's alive to it. That when it walks by, if, if I was to walk by Pastor Logan and, and pretend to be sin, that if he's living according to the freedom he's found in Christ, the new life he has in Christ, that when, when I walk by, I see him as a completely dead person. That his members aren't available for use, his tongue's not available for my use, his thoughts, his, his mind's not available. And so that's what it means to be dead to sin. But not only are we dead to sin, we're alive to Christ. Go back to, to Colossians chapter 2, if you would, please. Looking at, at verse 16, or beginning in verse 16. We read the following. It says, so, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head. Notice the capital H. From whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. You want to go spiritually? Be connected to Christ. Therefore, meaning everything that he just said, because of all that, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no virtue against the indulgence of the flesh. Again, what this is not saying is go out and do whatever you want. What it is saying is you're not saved by law-keeping. You're not saved by rule-keeping. Christ has saved you. And so I want to be very clear here because what we run into is that as we start our walk with Christ, we're on cloud nine, man. Nothing can touch us. We get it. We're hungry. We're passionate. And then... And I'll use myself for an example because I don't, I won't speak for anybody, but so we're walking and we're, we're going with the Lord and we're, we're, nothing can take us down. And in my experience, it wasn't uh, the devil that took me down. It wasn't uh, a sinner that, that persecuted me so much that my, my cloud nine experience just evaporated. It was a Christian who came up to me in, in the midst of my, my celebrating that, that I was no longer a sinner, that I was saved by Christ, that I was no longer damned to hell, that I have an eternal inheritance with my Lord, that I was no longer just Justin Countryman, that, that nasty old sinful man, that I was now Justin Countryman, born again, renewed, given new life, filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that is where I was. But what happened is they came to me and they said, you, you can't look like that. And I, I, I respected this person. So what do I do? That's the first little chink in my armor. Because instead of just saying, you don't know what you're talking about, because I'm a young Christian. I, I, <laughs> I haven't even read my Bible yet through. I say, you know what? What if you're right? So then I start watching. And then I start listening. And what has derailed my walk with the Lord the most is all the lists that Christians have of what you do and don't do in order to fit in to be saved. I have spent more nights in agony over something that somebody said I did or said that wasn't right or something that somebody said I wore. Or, and, and I know I keep talking about tattoos or my tattoos. Uh, I've spent more time agonizing over those things than I have actually struggling with working out my salvation. Because, church, let, let me be honest, that's not working out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's working out what part of man's traditions are you going to follow instead of Christ. And, and I know that this is a super slippery slope, and I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will give me the right words to say so that I don't start a mudslide and you walk out of this room thinking, again, that you can just do whatever you want because you have freedom in Christ. That's not the point. The point is, is when did we trade our walk with the Lord and our relationship with Christ for a set of rules and regulations that can't save us? That's my point. If your walk with the Lord is solely based on what you do and don't do, you have entirely missed why you needed to be saved. You with me so far? I know I'm stepping on a whole lot of tradition, and, and, 
Listen, people, you know me by now. If you're not wearing steel-toed boots, it's not my fault. You should know. You come to church in steel-toed boots. It's just Christ. That's it. The fear of man that enters into our Christian walk from Christian believers is compounded in our fear of non-believers. You with me so far? If you don't even think you fit in or have worth or have value in a church, there is no way you're going to go out and share who Jesus Christ is. I think that the devil has used Christians to silence Christians in a way that is staggering if we were to stop and look at it. The, 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 the people that are walking straight to hell that we don't talk to, every one of us should be broken, weeping at the altar and not get up because of that. But what would somebody think if we did that? What, what, what would somebody think if we were at the altar every time there was an altar call? Would they begin to think what, that there's something wrong with us? Would they wonder why we're, we're not getting what we need? Would they, would they think that we have unconfessed sin in our lives? And therefore God's not hearing our prayers? Would they, would they, right? All these questions start going through your mind, not because God put them there, because the devil walks these aisles the same way as Christ does. And I'm not saying that the devil's in prayer view. You, you understand what I'm saying. All churches. If you give him access, he'll take it. Genesis says that, that sin is lying at your door because its desire is for you. Well, guess what? When you got saved, it never stopped having a desire for you. You just have the power to have, have power over it. So we're still in a, in a battle no more. Colossians 3, 5 through 9. We're going to skip some verses and then I'm going to come back to them. Colossians 3, 5 through 9 says the following. Therefore, put to death your members. So <laughs> in this really weird paradox, we die with Christ, we're made alive with Christ, and then we kill stuff. Us. I can't explain it very well. It's just like the Trinity. I know what it is, but I can't explain it. Bear with me on this. He says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. How much of our Americanized Christian walk is built more on covetousness than it is on Christ. I've got to have what they have so I can be where they are. If you were to take this church and plant it in a third world country, would they see Christ? Would they see wealth? Would they see a pursuit of the God that saved you? Or would they see a pursuit about everything else? Those are questions we need to ask ourselves. Those are questions we need to wrestle with. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So we all lived in this place. He says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. None of what we just read to me speaks about if you die with Christ and you're alive again and it's not about rules and regulations Go do whatever you want. It's saying, listen, if Christ lives in you, you're going to look a certain way and you're going to walk a certain way. It's not legalism. It's holiness being produced in you and coming out of you. Okay? You with me so far? Right. Because of this new life that we have, that, that Christ promises believers, we are to live as risen believers, not as dead Christians. So we've talked about this before. There is a, a, a overwhelming lack of joy among modern-day Christians. Overwhelming. We, we've lost our joy. We, we don't have it anymore. And I think one of the reasons why we don't have it is because we are so bent on following a list of do's or don'ts that somebody made up that we agreed to that we forgot that we are to live as free Christians, not as dead, joyless, lifeless Christians. Did Christ call you to life or did he call you to death? Life. Life. Romans 6, going back there, please. Starting verse 8, Romans 6. Beginning verse 8, it says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. 
Death no longer has dominion over him. I wish somebody would say an amen, because that's pretty awesome. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So even Christ in his new life lives in a way that honors God completely and fully. And we're called to do the same. He says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. That's one part of it. But I want us to understand here, so let me, let me, let me use an example. Your tongue is an instrument of your body. You're to present it as a member of righteousness, not as a member of sin. That means instead of gossiping about so-and-so, pray over them. It's not that hard to do. The problem is, is that gossip is fun. Prayer is hard. It can be hard. So we've got to train ourselves to understand that this life of Christ is, is no easy walk by any means, but it's the only thing we have that will honor the Lord correctly. When we walk by him, when we produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Go back to Colossians 3, 1 through 4. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Go further down to verse 10, if you would, please. It says, And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And I want to go further. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. One is what you're called to, the other one is what, what, what you are. You are called to be holy, and you are beloved by God. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's harder to me than a list of do's and don'ts. That's really hard. The only way, the only way that I have any hope of doing what, what these scriptures command right here is Christ in me. Is the Holy Spirit at work in my life. I can't do that on my own. I can't, I can't make that happen on my own. Christ is the only one that can do it. And so I want to, again, just, just make sure that we understand where we're following And I told you guys that I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm in a uh, spiritual midlife crisis. I'm, I'm working some things out. I think we should all be working some things out. So I shouldn't be the only one that's crying every Sunday. But that being said, I think the number one thing that you might face when you ask your neighbors to come to church with you is the following. And it breaks my heart every time I hear it. Well, I, I just, I'm not ready to go back to church yet. Oh, really? What happened? Well, the last church I was at, there was a lot of church hurt from there, and I'm just not ready yet. I've heard that so many times. I heard it in Big Timber. I've heard it here. I'm not ready to go back to church because of the church hurt. Well, shame on us. Shame on churches. Because Christ didn't save you to hurt you. And Christ didn't call you to become a body of Christ so that you could hurt each other. And Christ did not call us to come together to love one another and honor one another, to prefer others above ourselves, to not cause our, 
our fellow brothers and sisters to stumble by what we're doing so that we could intentionally fight in our body. If your body fights itself, I, I watch my wife go through it. She, she has the kids, so she doesn't know I'm going to say this. I watched my wife struggle for her life for 10 days. She had a, a, a hernia repair. Got home from the hospital. They said everything went well. She uh, felt good enough to, to eat some food. She ate some food. She wanted to go to bed early. Um, and I'm ashamed of this, but I, I asked her if I could just finish like the next 20 minutes of the, the movie I was watching. She said, sure. So I'm, I'm finishing this movie up, and I, I hear this noise, and I, I pause the movie, and I'm looking, listening, and I, I don't hear anything, and I push play again, and a few minutes later, I hear that noise again, and I, I get up, and I go in the room, and she's going into shock. She, she was trying to, to scream my name. She couldn't scream my name. Her, her stomach, I kid you not, was bigger than it was when she was nine months pregnant. Going in shock, teeth chattering, her eyes are rolling in the back of her head. I call uh, the, the 911, they get somebody there right away. We, we get her to Big Timber, they rush her straight to uh, Billings without permission to do so, which thank God they did, because if they would have waited, she would have died. We get there, they have no idea what's going on, they can't figure it out. I have, uh, literally he says, you have 20 minutes to sign this paper, giving us permission to do whatever we want to do. Or she's going to die. Well, I signed the paper. They go in. They cannot figure out what's going on. They sew her back up. She's head to toe. They sew her back up. She's in ICU. She's not getting any better. Her body thought it had an infection. Her body thought it was septic. It was not. It's called SIRS. It's, uh, and I might get it wrong, but systemic inflammatory response syndrome where your body literally thinks there's an infection, so it starts shutting down every one of your organs to stop the blood from flowing through your organs. There's no infection in her body, but her body thinks there is. Take that to a church. There's no infection in a church, but my goodness gracious, when your body thinks that there's an infection and it fights itself, the damage that can be done. I, I watched... Day by day, one number, it couldn't get below 60. It sat at 61 for days. It was brutal on those that were watching, and it was brutal on my wife's body. All because her body thought there was an infection that there wasn't. Well, church, it ain't any different than us. If we think there's an infection and there's not, and we start tearing each other apart, we start ripping each other apart, we can do so much damage that even though you might walk again, you're never the same. And so all of this is said so that we understand that not everybody's going to walk their Christian life the exact same way. For some, they struggle with certain things. Others have never even thought about it. Don't dismiss somebody's struggle. There's things that, that some people struggle with, and I'm like, I don't get it. I really don't. But if your struggle is anything close to what I, the things I struggle with, I get that part of it. I can pray with you. I can be there for you. There is something about allowing everybody to walk after Christ, to make a mistake here, to stumble here, and instead of kicking them while they're down, picking them up, that helps a body grow and mature in Christ. That's what this is about. And so we are to, to do all these things. And if, if, I don't know if your Bible has headings, but my heading says the character of a new man beginning in, in chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 12. It's about what we're supposed to do because Christ has made us new. Nothing in there talks about judging others because they, they do something. Or, or judging others because, listen, I am not a perfect man. I've been here long enough, you know that fully well. Just being honest, I'm not perfect. I don't want to, I got I to gotta stop saying that. God, it has never been my dream, I'll say it this way, to pastor a church that is perfect so I can be the perfect pastor. Throw that out the door. I want for you guys to realize that I'm human and I make mistakes. Some are massive, some are tiny. Some hurt, some don't. Some are laughable, some aren't. 
But some of them are the same mistakes you guys make. And some of them we make together. You guys voted me in as your pastor. That's your mistake. Not mine. Sin. So what do we do with this? How, how do we walk this out? What, what does it look like to, to become a church that, that isn't afraid to have been walking for, for months, years, decades in your Christian walk and say, you know, maybe there's more work I got to do. Maybe, maybe I got to keep, maybe I got to keep being sanctified. Maybe I got to keep letting those rough edges in my own life be rubbed out. Maybe, maybe I got to take the plank out of my own eye. How does that look like? You want to know what it looks like? This? Us? Doing life together? Coming to church together when you feel like it, when you don't? Having a horrible week and having somebody you can call and say, listen, I just need some prayer. A little bit of prayer. Being somebody that will pray for somebody when they call you and say, I need a little bit of prayer. I feel like there's something secret going on. I don't know what's going on. Sketchy back. In closing, I want to share a verse that that is probably one of my my all-time favorite verses, and it's Galatians 2.20, but I'm going to read the context of of the verses around it. So I want to start in verse 17. Galatians 2, beginning in verse 17. It says, But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. You notice that, that what Paul does is he anticipate, anticipates questions that are going to come his way because of what he said, and then he responds very forcefully against them. So let me read that again. But if, if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So I want to be very clear. You will never save yourself from a list of do's or don'ts. There is a way to walk that is considered righteous and holy. It's not a a come to Christ and do whatever you want walk. It never has been. But it's also not a come to Christ and and as long as you meet this list of requirements, you're good to go. It's never been that either. It's just Christ. When you go back and you build this this list of do's and don'ts, you you enter into what's called self-righteousness. Two times Paul talks about it. Very, very strongly. He talks about his life as a Pharisee, when he was trying to be righteous in his own strength, and he actually calls it human excrement. I'm not allowed to say the words because they're offensive. He found it so disgusting that he referred to it as that. He also says that our, our righteousness, Isaiah says, our, our righteousness is as filthy rigs. Isaiah or Ezekiel, I can't remember. Is as filthy rigs. Those rigs, they don't mean just dirty rigs that you wash your feet with. Your menstrual rigs. That's how God views self-righteousness in the form of legalism based on a set of do's and don'ts instead of him. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to make sure I'm okay with people at the expense of being okay with my Lord. I want to make sure I'm following the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. If people get it, they get it. If they don't, I want to help them. That's what it means to walk after the Lord. To put our judgments aside, to to understand that not everybody's where we are, that that there's a a whole generation of people that grew up in church and know all the bad things about church but never met Christ. We need to reach them. A list of do's and don'ts isn't going to do that. There's a whole generation of people that are growing up that have never stepped foot in a church. They don't know how to act appropriate in church. They don't know how to talk appropriate in church. Thank God they're at a church. I thought I'd get more amens on that one. There's a whole group of people that are wildly running after something to fill a hole in them. 
and nobody's telling them it's Jesus. If you're running after the world to fill a hole and you happen to step through the doors of this church, I pray to God that what you look like is the last of our worries, what you talk like is the last of our worries, and all we're interested in doing is each and every one of us finding our place in the body of Christ to make sure that those hands of Jesus can wrap around that sinner. The same that we once were. That's my prayer. So I pray that you go home and that, that this causes you to really, in one sense, for everybody here to be offended. Offended enough that you'll dig into Scripture to see all that Scripture has to say about walking with the Lord. And all that Scripture says against following traditions and rules and regulations of men that have nothing to do with God. And that when we come back next Sunday, that the Holy Spirit will have done a work in our hearts so deep that we come back and all we are concerned about is Jesus. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. Because He is enough. Amen. Yes, Brian, you want to come? Thank you, Pastor. Um, I feel like we start school this week, and I feel like we should bring the little ones up. Any elementary, high school, middle school kids, I think we should just pray over them. It's, school starts Thursday, so if you're, if you're of that age, come on up, kiddos. I see Mama Jay's back. And anyone who wants to gather around them and pray, let's pray over them, and then we'll, we'll close out. Yeah, go ahead. So I thought we had another week before school started, but then it just hit me in the middle of service. I'm like, these kids are starting school this week, and we need to pray over them. So I kind of snuck them out real quick. But um, we kind of did like a little mini-series this summer called Happy Campers. And it, basically the gist of it is, you know, just because it's summer, we don't stop spending time with God. You know, it's spending our summer with God. And so they, this is a verse that they learned, and so they were going to say it for you guys, and I'm going to help them out a little bit, but... I began a good work in you, and I'm sure you will carry it on until it is completed. That will be on the day Christ Jesus returns. Philippians 1.6 As you could tell, our girls are a little more, they want to be in the front, and the boys are like, we're hiding in the back. <laughs> but um, the last... Um, the last lesson we did just talked about how, you know, can't, each thing talked about camping in a way. And it talked about, you know, after you're done camping, you, ha you can't bring the campfire with you. You got to make sure it's out. And how cool it would be if we could carry a little campfire around, have s'mores whenever we want and stuff like that. But um, kind of the point was that they do have a fire that they could take with them to school. And that's the Holy Spirit. And so... Um, I just love these kids so much. And so I just would ask anybody that wants to come up and just surround them. Serenity's going, going to be in the middle school too. I think all of you guys are still in the elementary, right? Gabriel's going into the middle school. It's a big step. It's Serenity's last year in the middle school. So if you guys could just come up and surround them. And um, Brian and Cheyenne too, they're, that's a, a battleground that they're in every day you know, with these kids and, sorry, Pastor Logan too. And so just, can we put all of them in the center and just all of us lay hands on them and pray over them? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for each and every young uh, person that's in this circle, Father. God, I thank you for the, the hands of the adults that are around them. God, each and every child, teen, represents a life that you have entrusted this church to steward, to guide, to pour into, to raise in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So, Father, I pray that as they prepare themselves for school, God, that we would be burdened to pray over them daily. Now, there is so much that goes on, and I, and I 
I think as, as teachers, uh, these three probably know more than, than we do. But God, they don't even know it all. Just with everything that these kids face, God, every word that is spoken, every, every scene that is seen, every image that's seen, there's just so much that is against our kids in this day and age. I pray, Holy Spirit, for a prayer covering over each and every one every day. God, that you would minister to our hearts, God, that you would speak to our hearts to cover them by name every day. God, may we be quick to affirm them, God, to encourage them, to lift them up, God, to call out the strengths that we see in them because the world will very quickly try and tear them down. May we help build them up, Father. I pray over uh, Pastor Brian, Pastor Logan, God, and uh, Cheyenne, Father, that you would, Holy Spirit, empower them to lead their kids, God, to have a positive impact for you in their lives, God, to, to have Christ seen clearly in them, God, that they could uh, give a hug when it's needed, God, that they could give a word of encouragement when it's needed, God, that you would make them so aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit that, God, when he whispers, they would speak. When he nudges, they would move. God, be with our schools, our teachers, our children. Holy Spirit, at a young age, may you grab a hold of them and light a fire in them. And God, may we help fan the flames so that it burns ever brighter every day. Thank you, Father for these that you've entrusted to us. Be with them, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. My bad, I thought we were done. <laughs> anyway, uh, don't forget tonight, we have uh, Bishop Tom Gillum coming uh, at 6 o'clock, so make sure you get here. I'm sure it's going to be a powerful um, message. Uh, I guess he was a former bishop in the NCR region. He's now... Um, at the office in uh, Cleveland, Tennessee, working in the missions department. So he's going to be here at 6 to have a message. So coming out for that, it's a rainy day, so what else are you going to do anyway, right? So, all right, let's close out in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for the worship and the, and the, and the sermon, Lord. Help us to take those things in and, and work on changing who we are to live like you, Jesus, each and every day, as Pastor said. It's just about you, Jesus, every day. Let us walk and, and talk and be you, be the hands and feet, Jesus, in this world today that so desperately needs that kind of spirit, that kind of movement, that kind of revival in our world, Lord. Help us to get out there and spread the gospel, spread the mission that you have, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be dismissed. Have a great day, everybody.